and this is a weird blend of uh, the sound of music and the Lord yeah. of the Rings. And my face. <laughs> and <Right>. your face, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was the Lord of the Rings part. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> it's Friday, November the 17th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darroch, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Trustafarian Bike Park Ram Raider, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Tweede Kamer Dashboard DJ. I know what my job title is about, unfortunately, but I have no idea uh, what your, yours is no. referring to. No. You must have seen this picture this week that's done the rounds on Twitter about uh, a Porsche that took a wrong turning into the bike store down on the underground bike store in Amsterdam at the, uh, on Burstplein. No? No, no. He's not seen missed this it. at all. Completely right, no, missed basically it. Some, uh, somebody uh, was walking the plane and took a picture of a Porsche that was trying to go down the steps into the underground underground bike storage. Ah, uh, and, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, it got stuck halfway down. And uh, it wasn't clear at first, actually, because um, nobody had a picture of the bike, uh, of the car coming back out of the um, bike store. But uh, uh, the fire brigade wasn't called out. And eventually there was actually a video of this car just stuck midway down uh, the steps. It just literally fitted narrowly down the steps. And people were trying to work out how on earth this car could have taken the wrong turning into the bike store. Not just because it's a staircase, which yeah. is a bit of a giveaway, but also with, with bike ramps on either side. But also there's a big bollard at the top. So he'd have had to squeeze his car in between uh-huh. uh, either side of the bollard to get down. So a lot of people thought it was a fake picture, but it was a genuine picture. And to, well, some, and, uh, yeah, the uh, RT5 and some local uh, stations uh, ran a picture and they noticed it wasn't a Dutch number plate. It was, an, it was a white number plate board on the front. So they immediately assumed it was a Polish number. But actually, when you looked at the registration, you could see quite clearly. Um, and there was another clue that the because the steering wheel was on the right hand side <laughs> this was a Brit so <laughs> yeah which did the, not surprise me in the slightest no yeah. no the yeah. Brits are, ru- are trying to to find uh, uh, new ways to ruin uh, people's life yep. in Amsterdam yeah exactly finding new innovative ways to trash Amsterdam yeah, yeah. yeah and I think the city's campaign to deter British tourists is once again vindicated yeah, um, I, I wonder what the what the what the Amsterdam Tourist Board is going to advertise in the UK from now on. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll go sending flyers around Porsche dealers, playing saying, <laughs> or, or at the port at Harwich. I have to say that I can understand if you come from a country that doesn't have the same bike infrastructure culture as the Netherlands, that you can. Yeah. Yeah, confuse. Um, um, uh, yeah, the entrance to the underground parking garage for bikes, uh, for one for cars, because uh, I mean the the width is 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 uh, exactly the same as a car width, I guess, and yeah. uh, the angle also looks a bit like the same angle you have in 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 parking garages. But um, I mean, there was a bollard that should that should there was be, a bollard and there was a flight of steps. You yeah. know, so it must have been running down saying this this ramp's awfully bumpy. I wonder why they've they built it this way. <laughs> yeah, well, this person's probably uh, used to the to the road quality of the UK. So yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, yes, yeah, of course. That's, yeah, that's yeah. probably why. So you probably yeah. thought it was quite a smooth ride. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Um, so yeah, and then you've had to reverse his car back up up the steps, yeah, which seems to manage to do. Uh, but there's a great video of this good guy, and he got out. We assumed because it was a Porsche, 
a flash car, a car with a British number plate going in Amsterdam. It would have been some young guy with more money than sense. But uh, actually, they, 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 there's video footage of the guy who got out of the car and was sort of standing around thinking, how did I get myself into this situation? You know, one of those <laughs> nightmare scenarios. And uh, he, he, he looks kind of, uh, yeah, like an older guy, sort of, uh, at least in his uh, 50s, but uh, didn't mm-hmm. seem to know better. But yeah, like you say, if, if you just see uh, a sign saying parking in, uh, and you're not used to the fact that uh, more people travel by bike than by car, you might automatically assume it was a, a car park. Yeah. And then find out the hard way it wasn't. Um, yes, and uh, my job title uh, refers to all the politicians that appear on radio shows. Um, and I think it is the NOS radio show, right? The... I think it's around, yeah, I think it is. Uh, they're, they're doing uh, some kind of. Uh, it's a radio show, but it's also uh, like a live uh, video, uh, uh, yeah, online video interview as well. And they have a politician in the studio every morning, yeah. and they ask them lots of you know uh, personal questions to make it a bit more uh, informal and fun. And one of the things they ask them is, uh, "What's their favorite song, or what song? With, what's their campaign song?" Right. Yes, and uh, this is when um, I think Peter Omzicht lost uh, a lot of votes because he requested <laughs> Zoutelande by Bluff, which is yeah. um, arguably the worst song ever. And Not I include arguably. and I include the Coronation song uh, from 2013. And Salt is a Swing. And Salt is a Swing. Yeah. Um, no, this is uh, this was a poor choice by by Peter Omzicht and he lost my vote definitely and uh, <laughs> Gordon if you can, could have, could have voted if then, I could have uh, voted yeah, yeah I think I'm certainly gonna uh, be advising my kids not to vote for him uh, and uh, this segment uh, requesting songs caused some upheaf uh, earlier this week or, or or the week before I, I can't really remember um, SGP leader uh, Christopher was there the uh, the leader of the uh, Orthodox Protestant uh, party and he caused some upheaval by requesting a song which turned out to be the Israeli anthem uh, <laughs> so that was broadcasted uh, in 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 uh, hundreds and thousands of cars uh, in in traffic jams and uh, yeah that's uh, the, the radio broadcasters weren't really happy with that but yeah um, yeah you can imagine the state of the traffic in uh, you know um, some suburbs of Rotterdam when that started uh, playing it was a, it can't have been a pretty sight no, and, no, uh, yeah no. Um, yeah do, do you think that Christopher actually seriously gets into the shower every morning and puts on the Israeli national anthem oh it uh, wouldn't I, surprise <laughs> me at all no except on Sundays does, then then <laughs> listening to music is forbidden yeah yeah not on Sunday I guess is he allowed to shower on Sundays I don't know let's not think about that (laughs) (laughs) no yeah and uh, some other standout choices uh, Dylan Yeshelgers what did did she go for that was uh, Uh, she she chose Beyonce I believe yeah um I, I missed uh, I missed the others I assumed that um Geert Wilders chose uh Lady Gaga he wants um prefer to go to a Lady Gaga concert instead of going to Prinsjesdag uh, a couple yeah. of years ago. Would he um, not have chosen the music from the Efteling, actually? <laughs> so from the drum flute. He, he could have done that, yes. Yeah. Though I don't think uh, the, the people in the morning commute would be happy to hear that music uh, uh, from their radio as well. Um, no. No, I I don't know, but I, I only know uh, I only know that uh, uh, yes, chose Beyonce and the others I haven't really paid attention to. No, I haven't either, to be fair. But uh, yeah, uh, but but but, but Omzicht is definitely cancelled for me for definitely, you on that reason. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, speaking of uh, uh, politicians up to no good, uh, what does the OPEF of the week uh, inevitably in inevitably it is election related? 
Yes, uh, with less than a week to go until the general election, uh, yeah, the news is dominated by politicians and what they've been up to. And that means, uh, yeah, as you said, there is bound to be ophef about one of them. And this uh, week it is PvdA GroenLinks leader Frans Timmermans. He raised a lot of eyebrows uh, over the weekend when he announced that he wouldn't be available on the campaign trail on Saturday. Uh, instead of participating in one of the debates or giving interviews in one of the many, many TV and radio programs, Timmermans preferred to uh, take a break and go to to Spain, not to go to the beach, but uh, to attend uh, an international conference for social democrats in Malaga. Uh, Timmermans uh, yeah, has already been criticized before for skipping over a number of debates and campaign events. Uh, remember two weeks ago, he uh, left a uh, radio debate early to uh, go to Germany to meet the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. That's, yeah, that and admire uh, his pretzels. And, and yeah. admire his pretzels, uh, indeed. Um, that was a trip he made by electric car. But of course, uh, when you go to Malaga, you need an, an, another mode of transportation. Mm. And the question was, what is uh, the, the former European climate commissioner going to do and unfortunately for him uh, it was it was a complete coincidence but uh, there was a private jet uh, that took <laughs> off from Rotterdam the Hague airport on its way to Malaga so uh, you Im- can imagine that on social media a lot of specul there was a lot of speculation uh, about uh, if Timmermans actually had taken a private jet and i think yeah. we 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 we, we uh, mentioned uh, before we started recording that uh, that we missed a game-changing moment in this election if timmermans would have taken a private jet to go to uh, to malaga for a one-day trip that yeah. would have been definitely been a a a, a game-changing moment that would have been absolute death to his campaign yeah yes indeed yeah. um the rumors were soon uh, put to an end after a photo appeared of timmermans at uh, eindhoven airport where he was uh, standing in line to board one of the budget carrier planes yeah um he re- which which is also uh, something that is criticized by the left of course the very cheap uh, air, yeah, yeah air, it is too yeah flying is too cheap mm. yeah so, yes, yes, yeah. yes. You can't win, really, can you? Yeah. Not really. You, you, yeah. You go, you go, and if you fly KLM, then you're putting money into you know the, the, the biggest, most subsidy-sucking uh, uh, company in the whole of the Netherlands. So uh, what do you what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. Uh, but Timmermans, yeah, he 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 was standing there at the podium in Malaga, and he he then he completely transforms in a different person he gives this speech very fiery very passionately and you, you that that's not the side of Timmermans you see uh, on the Dutch campaign trail I think yeah and he really likes to 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 spend time with uh, international figures he was uh, boasting a little bit that he w- that he had spoken to uh, the German Chancellor with the Spanish Prime Minister um, uh, and with uh, all, other, uh, all sorts of other um, uh, international political figures so yeah that is uh, that is really where he uh, he enjoys himself the most, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. anywhere that's got good pretzels or good bakery, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, Timmermans is there. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Um, he he returned just in time uh, to the Netherlands to join the largest uh, climate march ever in Dutch history. Uh, Eighty-five thousand people took part in that on Sunday, I believe, and that yeah. included climate change activist Greta Thunberg. Uh, who caused another round of ophef after she stood on the stage at the Museum Plein and gave the words to a Palestinian activist. Uh, that person has uh, had just been muted on the stage because she was uh, using the controversial from the River to the Sea slogan. And uh, a man 
it's unknown who, but he uh, jumped on the stage. He uh, took the microphone out of uh, Thunberg's hands and he said that he had come uh, to protest uh, climate change and not for politics. And I didn't come on the climate change march to listen to political speeches. Right? Yeah, that was what, that he, what he said. said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, very sensible, yeah. Uh, which uh, <laughs> he, he meant, of course, uh, speeches about uh, Gaza and, and Palestine. But yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, um, if you if you translated it literally, it uh, didn't really make sense what he what he was saying. No, um, no. no. But yeah, that was uh, that was uh, another round of opeth. And Timmermans was there, of course. So yeah, this is, it's, it's, it's been an awkward um, issue for Timmermans, hasn't it? Because the yeah. the, the, the two parties, Groenlinks and PvdR, take uh, yeah. Well, their electorates, I think, take uh, different views um, on the, the the Israel Palestine question. And every yes. time he mentions it, he has to be very studiedly sort of neutral and uh, having to give uh, uh, trying to take in both sides uh, it's been uh which he hadn't done in the past, uh, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, a month ago, he was uh, much more, much very clearly, much more um, pro-Israel than yes. uh, pro-Palestine, yeah. and that caused all sorts of frictions within his uh, within his new newly formed alliance. Yeah, exactly. On the Hoonings, uh, voters were, were quite dismayed by that. Yeah, of course, you have a lot of uh, old leftists uh, in the PFDR uh, from the time when uh, yeah, they were, when, when, when being pro-Israel and uh, was, was, was quite a thing in the wake of in the immediate wake of the Holocaust uh, was, was quite a badge of honor for, for for the lefts. Again, it shows you the generational divide I think between PFDR and Hoonings. Yeah. This week, the election campaign enters its final days as polls show the parties are Finally. still as tight. I'm finally, tired. Finally ends its final days. Yeah. Yes. As polls show, yeah, we're all a bit tired, aren't we? But uh, yeah. And uh, the polls show that uh, everything's a bit deadlocked. The parties are still as tightly packed as new herrings in a crate. Meanwhile, Mark Rutter pitches for his new job, either on Almira Market or at NATO headquarters. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's a toss-up. Uh, bad news for people living near Schiphol Airport as the government yields to American pressure on flight numbers, but at least they'll have more opportunities to escape to London by train. And in sports, we've got news of the cricket team and a stunning win for Ajax. Oh, finally. We've uh, reached a stage in the campaign where lead candidates are making so many media appearances that it is simply impossible to cover everything that has happened in the past weeks. But we will do our best and we will uh, try to distill uh, the, the most important developments uh, from the past week. Um, if you have been on Facebook, though, you might have thought that the elections were last Wednesday. That wasn't the case. Facebook yes. made a huge error. A lot yeah. of people uh, yeah, were confused by that. Um, uh, People on Facebook got a message. I'm, I'm not on Facebook, so I'm not entirely sure. But the message said a push notification uh, reminding people that uh, they had to vote, right? So yeah, uh, the, uh, I got this. I got a push message uh, on Wednesday morning saying uh, get out and vote. Even though, one, it wasn't election day. And two, I can't vote. <laughs> Apart from those two small details, yeah, it was uh, the message was bang on. Yeah, so um, um, next Wednesday, Wednesday 22nd, that's when the election is. Mm. Um we begin with uh, far-right uh, PVV leader Geert Wilders, uh, who he gave quite a remarkable interview to uh, current affairs show Nieuwsuur. Uh, that program is interviewing each lead candidate for an hour every day, so and it's all available on YouTube. So if you're interested, you can uh, you can spend uh, plenty of hours uh, on, on on YouTube uh, rewatching all these interviews. I guess it's better than listening to Zelda Lander on loop, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Um, and um, it is it, that. Wilders appeared for the interview itself was already remarkable because uh, in the past years he he always cancelled the interview uh, la 
last minute, right? So one day in advance, he said, "No, I'm not. Mm. I'm actually not going to repair." Um, and uh, he repeated in the interview his ambition to step into a coalition this time. Uh, he is the ever. He, 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 his party has always been. I think if you. If you imagine a an opposition party, then yeah, the PVV is the. Uh, if you look up the, the, an opposition party in the, in the dictionary, the PVV is uh, the party that pops up. I think, right? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. He, he's always the bridesmaid in uh, yeah. elections. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that he yeah. uh, expresses his his ambition to step into a coalition is also remarkable, and he repeated that in this interview. And um, he even went uh, a little bit further than that. He said that he's even willing to give up his party's anti-Islam crown jewels. Uh, for example, a ban on mosques or a ban on the Quran. He is willing to put that aside uh, if that means that he can join a coalition. And he said that the current state of the country demands that he has to shift his priorities to topics such as healthcare, housing and uh, security of living. Uh, even though Islam will never get out of our DNA, he said, uh, these are now the priorities. And Wilders' populist party exists for 18 years. It has almost always been in opposition, except that two years when he was a sort of uh, Schrödinger opposition coalition yeah. partner. Um, he wasn't technically in the coalition, but he promised to support the current minority coalition in favor of all sorts of concessions. Um, most on immigration. Yeah, it was a confidence and supply deal, basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, um, and he um, had started this campaign by saying that he had cut off the sharp edges in an effort to become more acceptable for other parties. Even though, if you read his party manifesto, uh, there's still uh, plenty of sharp edges uh, left, I guess. Yeah, this is the thing. I think this is a lot of um, posturing by Wilders. Really, I mean, he says that uh, he wants to join in a coalition, but he's also saying that because Omsicht. Uh, has uh, said quite flatly he will not uh, bring Wilders into co coalition uh, because of his stance on the constitution and um, the fact that uh, wanting to uh, ban mosques goes uh, and ban headscarves in parliament for example goes right against uh, the, um, uh, the, the the freedom of religion that's uh, enshrined in the constitution uh, and Yesogos has also been saying increasingly during the campaign that she doesn't really see a partnership with Wilders working but Wilders is sort of saying that after the election everything is fluid and people will make decisions based on the outcome but he said that last time as well and sure enough he was shut out by Grutter I think he's uh, basically just trying to make him present himself as a more uh, slightly milder is a word I keep hearing cropping up um, slightly more mature slightly more acceptable slightly more responsible politician in the hope that uh, he, he can bag some kind of seat at the negotiating table I still can't really see Wilders wanting to go into coalition wanting to supply ministers into a cabinet because that means that you know, where is he going to get them from and also yeah. he will have rivals within his own party which has not worked out well for him in the past um, so I, I, th I think this is really just Wilders trying to uh, pick up a few votes uh, probably off Peter Omzicht uh, to, to kind of shore up his support so that he gets ends up in his favorite position which is as the leading opposition party yeah I, I uh, disagree a little bit with you I think the chance of a of a, um, a right-wing coalition with the PVV is uh, is bigger than 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 ever before um, 
Uh, Dylan Jessogus, he started the campaign by opening the door a little bit for the PVV, which was a complete contradiction to her uh, predecessor, Mark Rutte. He always mm. said, uh, it's out of the question that I'm going to step into a coalition with the PVV. Um, that was sort of showing, I think, for her to, to, to show that she is the new leader and that she is making the decisions now. And also a way to, to deviate a little bit from, uh, from Mark Rutte's um, uh, uh, legacy and also to show that Mike Migration, the issue where the cabinet uh, collapsed on, is uh, so serious for her that she's even considering this. Um, yeah. But if you just look at uh, the polls, we will look we will look at that uh, later in the podcast. Uh, you see that there is a clear right wing block with the PVV, VVD, uh, NSA, and Baby Bay. Uh, they together, these four parties on the right side of the political spectrum, they have a majority right now in the polls and it would make life a lot easier in terms of um, how long it takes to form a coalition if these four parties uh, can cooperate together because yeah, then then there is a clear outcome. Um, but yeah, as you said, uh, Peter Omzicht of New Social Contract, the newly formed party, he, um, he is much clearer than Jesukus is. He says that it is for me out of the question to 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 um, step into a coalition with the PVV and that is the biggest problem for 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 Wilders I think um, uh, I think the other parties are um, are right baby babe VVD they are much more willing to to consider him and also uh, Caroline van der Plas of Boerburgbeweging she said that uh, I am willing to mediate uh, if necessary uh, between mm-hmm. Pieter Omzicht and Wilders to, 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 to find more common ground and, and, and it's just so remarkable uh, I want to stress this uh, Geert Wilders anti-Islam yeah. party uh, he has been advocating for a ban on mosques, for a ban on headscarves, uh, a ban on on Quran for for as long as I can remember. Yeah. And just to hear him, hear it come out of his mouth saying, "I'm willing to give these, um, uh, 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 give my crown jewels up." <laughs> it, it, yeah. it is such a a, a remarkable uh, change of position, I think, and it to me it shows that he is quite serious. I mean, he is he is uh, approaching the age of sixty now. He hasn't mm. uh, a- accomplished much in Parliament ever since he broke from the VVD. It might be, I think, uh, that he's saying that he's thinking, yeah, this is perhaps my last chance. Maybe I can finally. Um, yeah, have some impact. Yeah, that's the point I was about to make. Really, that I guess it's a, it, it's a question of uh, you know having spent eighteen years uh, achieving absolutely nothing to curb uh, Islam uh, in opposition. Perhaps he has a he fancies just uh, doing nothing about it in government instead. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, did, I didn't really hear Vilders quite say he's going to give up these crown jewels. Just more, that he's going to sort of put them in a cupboard somewhere and concentrate on other priorities. Um, yeah, he's not going to make it a a a, a breaking point. In yeah, the, but he in did still say it's embedded. In his party's DNA, in other That's words, right. it's it's always going to be, you know, it's, it's always still going to be in his head. It's going to be lurking in the background somewhere, and possibly, yeah. I think uh, the worry is that if the PVV did get any kind of power, that eventually, some sooner or later, during a coalition, these issues would crop up again, 
if Elizabeth would, would give another uh, controversial speech and start another court case or something, you know, yeah. to, that, that he doesn't. And as we saw when he was briefly, um, did briefly have uh, half a hand on power uh, during Ritter's first coalition, as soon as things got awkward for him, uh, he packed up and walked away. So That's right. I think that That's is also a thing that the other parties will be uh, have in mind. This is uh, right out of the playbook of uh, of, uh, of uh, Mark Rutte's uh, talking points. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, nonetheless, uh, this whole idea, this prospect of a of a left wing uh, of a right wing uh, coalition, has uh, scared the left um, uh, up to their bones. Is yep. that, if that's an expression, I don't know. Um, D66 leader Rob Jette and Frans Timmermans. Uh, their alarm bells went off and they immediately ran to the nearest microphone to say that this is an absolutely nightmare scenario and we should avoid that at all costs. Yeah. Uh, Timmerman said, if you want to avoid a right-wing coalition, you should vote for me. It is uh, essential that I win, that I become prime minister. Uh, and Rob Jette of D66, D66 has always had um, electoral success uh, opposing the PVV and Geert Wilders, they, that was mutually beneficial, mm. I guess. So um, I think Robieta sees this as another opportunity to uh, have this old trick from the D66 sleeve uh, to, 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 to finally put that into action. And D- yeah, D- definitely. Yeah. And, and D66 uh, think- can use the votes. Um, Mm, they can, yeah, and I think Timmermans has uh, spotted the same opening as well. He's just thought that this is uh, scaring people um, with the prospect of uh, Wilders uh, being anywhere near power uh, is a way to persuade um, wavering D66 and possibly fault voters as well to uh, to, to, to back um, the PVDR. We'll talk about the, the polls uh, a bit later on. But speaking of uh, potential prime ministers, Timmermans has uh, said uh, he's uh, keen to do the job, uh, but we still haven't really had a decision from Peter Omzicht, have we? No. Jessogus also says he, uh, she really wants to do it. She finally t- yeah. uh, took the... Uh, she's finally played the women card uh, earlier this week. Right. Uh, she said that, uh, yeah, it's probably time for a first female f- prime minister in the Netherlands, something that um, Sigrid Kaag had campaigned on uh, yeah. two and a half years ago, of course. Uh, but Pieter Omzicht still is still very vague in answering the question if he wants to become prime minister or not. I believe it, he, he changes position quite regularly on this topic, but his current position is that he, pr- that he uh, uh, fiercely prefers to stay in parliament. Uh, he does not rule out that he might become prime minister, but he will only do that if he can combine the job with his family life in Enschede. I always assumed that he didn't have a family life at all because, mm. you know, he's known for reading um, uh, all sorts of uh, documents and uh, reports and, and surveys and, uh, and, and whatnot well into the yeah. night. Um, yeah. But he said that, yeah, but he also hasn't said that if there was someone else in the picture for NSA, uh, and or who that might be so yeah it's all it's it still remains very very vague yeah um, i mean there, there's i mean the obvious solution here i think is just to move the seat of government to enschede let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's not do that um <laughs> yeah that, you you always have purists who say who insist that these are parliamentary elections and yeah. that's prime ministerial elections which is true uh, but I always uh, counter that by saying that yeah the end game here is to form a new coalition and and thus a new cabinet which is led by prime minister so to uh, 
pretend that uh, the prime minister question is absolutely uh, uh, unconnected to the uh, to the uh, to the election is also a little bit strange. I think. Yeah, um, voters want to know who's going to run the country. It's really that simple. Yeah, that's my hot take for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and um, Wednesday is the election, and we will be uh, uh, we will come with us. Wednesday is uh, is the election uh, at nine p.m. The polls close, and the NOS comes out with an exit poll, um, which uh, is usually quite um, uh, 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 quite good. <laughs> um, unfortunately, not always. But uh, yeah, we will come with a special uh, episode on on Wednesday evening where we discuss the exit polls, and then on Friday we'll be back with uh, with the actual results, and uh, we'll see how uh, how much they will deviate from the exit polls. Um, but usually they are quite uh, reliable, um, uh, fortunately for us. So uh, yeah, that's uh, we'll be back uh, on Wednesday. So with less than a week to go, the opinion polls suggest the three front runners have barely moved during the campaign. The latest INO research poll suggests uh, support for Peter Omzig's NSA party is dropping off and gives the Faith Idea a slight lead uh, with 27 seats to 25, with the left-wing alliance led by Franz Timmermans down one seat on 23. But then the Ipsos poll for Ein van Dag has the top front two in the opposite order. Uh, Omzicht has 28 and uh, Jeschelgers has 26, according to them, with Timmermans gaining a seat uh, also on 23. So to all intents and purposes, allowing for margins of error and so on, the front two are neck and neck, with Labour and Hoonlinks tucked in just behind. And that means no single party is uh, likely to win 20% of the vote. That's how fragmented it is. And if the big three can't form a coalition, and they've sort of been making noises that uh, they're not really uh, jumping at that prospect, then it's going to get very complicated. Uh, because uh, after Kit Wilders' Pei Fei Fei, which is projected to win 17 to 20 seats, there's a huge chasing pack, none of whom is likely to win more than 10 um, and altogether, uh, I think uh, 17 parties could win seats on the INO poll, which predicts that Belangen van Nederland and 50-plus will both get in. What a joyous prospect that is. And uh, the striking thing, uh, probably striking movement anyway, in uh, further down the order is the downward shift for the Farmers' Party Bay Bay Bay, which is now mm. down to eight seats on the INO yeah. poll, just ahead of Deza Sessenzestig. Yeah, and uh, a clear explanation here is that uh, nitrogen and farming issues are not really the campaign topics uh, on which um, uh, Caroline van der Plas, uh, yeah, won her monster uh, monster win in the in, yeah. the, in the last elections. Um, Caroline van der Plas did have a very Caroline van der Plas like moment at one of the talk shows earlier this week. Khalid um, uh, and Sophie, uh, the, the the talk show was is named, and they went to Budol, which is in Brabant, where um, an asylum seeker center is uh, causing a lot of um, uh, uh, yeah uh, uh, problems in in that in that small village. And yeah, they in their in their item they made fun of uh, of of one of the locals there. And Caroline van der Plas was a guest at that talk show, and she. Yeah, really had a rant about how uh, that program was, um, yeah, was was making fun of this normal person, and it really reminded me of the old Caroline van der Plas, uh, yeah. I have to say, uh, and it got her a lot of praise by her former supporters. And um, uh, but yeah, it might be. I'm I'm afraid it is too late for her to uh, to uh, win back all all the seats that uh, that she had in the polls a couple of months ago. Yeah, they've drained away to uh, Peter Omzicht. Yeah, because before uh, Peter Omzicht entered the race, of course, uh, the BBB were yeah, predicted to win, what's it, 24, 25 seats or something. 
Yeah. And yeah. so is there anything likely to change in the last few days? Uh, it could, but it's, it's very hard to really predict uh, if anything's going to move and what what might break. Um, the only thing is that things are so finely balanced that a sudden surge in support for any of the top three will completely change the picture. So, and they're all sort of uh, hoping for um, yeah things to uh, move in a particular direction. Franz Timmermans is hoping progressive voters will switch from D sixty six and Fault to give him the votes he needs. Uh, Dion Yeshelgers, I think, is hoping to keep picking votes off Peter Omzicht, uh, while Omzicht will be hoping the BBB just keeps shoveling voters his way. And Geert Wills, I think, is trying to reach out to voters who might be wavering uh, from uh, the Fefe sort of Fefe Day and also Omzicht as well. Uh, that are having second thoughts. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I think when you did dig, uh, when you drill down a bit into sort of the INO poll, uh, it shows that uh, uh, the Day have very loyal voters. Uh, I think it's like eighty-two percent of uh, the people who are going to vote Day also voted for the party last time. So that also, I guess, means given when you look compare the uh, figures, that almost nobody is switching to the Day this time. Is they're just yeah. hanging on to their voters better than the other parties? On the other hand, um, uh, certainly Timmermans is relying on. Uh, there's a lot of tactical voting going on uh, for, for Timmermans. Voters on the left are weighing up really. Do I back Franz Timmermans even though I'm not completely on board uh, with him, uh, or rather than give my vote to uh, Rob Yetten or uh, Lawrence Dussen, who aren't who quite possibly might end up in opposition? Um, uh, uh, he is taking up the role of Sigrid Kaag uh, two and a half years ago. I yeah, think. he's hoping to uh, suck up the votes, and that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, two, two years ago, Data Zestuk, a week before the campaign, were polling on around 14, 15 seats, and they ended up winning 24 because they Kaag did exactly that. She, she picked up a load of votes that were heading uh, off, off, I think, Kuhn Links in particular. Um, similarly, uh, back in March, the Bebe Bay, even, they were just in front with a week to go in the campaign, and they suddenly had a late surge and took them well clear and made them the winners in every province. And even back in 2017, I mean, Mark Rutter picked up a lot of support in the final days. You might remember there was that big row about the Turkish oh, yeah. ambassador's plane, um, and that uh, seemed to have uh, shipped a lot of votes towards Fefe Day. They ended up with 33 seats, and no opinion poll gave them to more than 29. Yes, and uh, NOS did a survey of young voters. Um, could they perhaps swing the balance? Yeah, well, I guess it does depend on whether they turn out. Under 35s are the least likely uh, group to vote at all. But if they do, the main issues for them are housing, cost of living and climate. However, climate's not one of the top 10 issues that might swing their vote. And uh, uh, Ipsos Research, uh, uh, Ipsos carried out this poll. Uh, Ipsos Research has said that Newkirk said uh, that's really because the parties hadn't been talking about it much during the campaign, even though there was uh, there's clearly a lot of uh, public um, uh, sentiment on climate because we had this 85,000 strong march through Amsterdam at the weekend. Yeah. Um, also, younger voters say they would prefer Franz Timmermans as Prime Minister, while over 35s uh, are keener on Peter Omzicht. Uh, Omzicht seems to be picking out the boom vote and the people who still uh, want to see Christian Democrat values um, coming back uh, whereas younger voters are more likely to vote for radical progressive parties according to Ipsos um, and while the election has been going on um, Mark Rutte, the Prime Minister he is for the f- it's so yeah. strange to see to not see his name on the ballot paper I have to admit, um, mm. what has he been up to? 
Yeah, outgoing Prime Minister Mark Rutte has been all over the place, here, there and everywhere this week. He popped up on the campaign trail at the weekend, handing out Fefe Day flyers in Almira and still wearing the same blue puffer jacket that has served, served him so well during his 13 years as Prime Minister. Uh, but later in the week, uh, he um, went to uh, off to meet NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg and he mm. wasn't wearing his blue puffer jacket then, quite notably. Uh, he had his best <laughs> suit on. Um, as you do when you go for a job interview. Uh, obviously, ostensibly, it was to discuss the geopolitical situation, but uh, any contact between Rutte and NATO these days sets tongues wagging. It's kind of an open secret that he's uh, quite keen on the job. Stoltenberg is due to step up, step down next autumn, and uh, Rutte is likely to stay in office as caretaker prime minister, at least till the spring, because the coalition yeah. negotiations are not going to be easy. Um, yeah, also, I think uh, there's a photograph of Grutter and Stoltenberg um, together uh, at NATO headquarters, and you get the feeling that NATO is always wanting to lift, raise the bar, right? And you notice that Grutter is just a little bit taller than Stoltenberg. They're both very tall men, but they're obviously, they're trying to fight, they're increasingly trying to find a taller leader every time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is bad news for the other person who's come into the frame this week, which is uh, the Estonian Prime Minister, Kaya Kallas. Uh, mm. She has also declared that, uh, or d d d hinted strongly that she's interested in taking over from Stoltenberg. Uh, one thing in her favour is that Estonia, unlike the Netherlands, does meet NATO's baseline of spending 2% of your annual budget on defence. We spend 1.96% of our annual budget, <laughs> and that's only because the economy grew too much. So uh, uh, they, they plan to, 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 to meet the 2% mark. Um, well, we, we will, because we're, we're in recession now. So I guess that will... Uh, yeah, that will... Uh, that will, uh, that will that will work in our benefit for once. Um, yeah. So Rut has got a job by crashing the economy. Is that what you're saying? Like I, uh, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would definitely <laughs> think that was the case. Yes. The housing shortage is one of the biggest concerns of voters and all political parties are promising to build more houses in the coming years. The outgoing government had called for a creation of 100,000 new homes a year to meet demand, but in the third quarter of this year, only 11,200 permits for new homes were handed out. And that is a 27% drop on the second quarter and the lowest total in years. The number of permits is an indication of how many new homes will come to the market within two or three years. Uh, on average, the Central um, Statistics Agency says it takes two years from license to completion. The decline is due to several factors, including a shortage of equipment, supplies and personnel. However, higher mortgage interest rates have also uh, led developers to downscale their plans because of doubts about whether people can afford the completed property. So that's the housing market, but there's also been changes to rental properties uh, this week as well. Yeah, that's right. With all the uh, Tweede Kamer politicians uh, on the campaign trail, you almost forget that the Senate is still working as always. Um, mm. And they have voted in favor of uh, stopping landlords offering tenants two-year contracts after concessions were made to the CDA about renting out rooms in private homes. The legislation to drop two-year contracts was passed by a clear majority in the lower house, but support was in doubt in the Senate after the Boerburgerbeweging said it would vote against. The BBB is the biggest group in the Senate with 16 seats, but last-minute concessions to the CDA, which was concerned uh, that scrapping the two-year option would leave people who rented out a spare room with permanent paying guests, uh, saw the Christian Democrats switch side and vote in favor. The option to rent out property for two-year periods was introduced in 2016. The hope was that it would encourage more people to become landlords, but in practice it has led to more uncertainty among tenants and allowed landlords 
landlords to increase rents considerably in between tenancies. The new rules will only apply to new contracts, and there are some exceptions to the rules. Landlords will still be able to cancel rental contracts if the space is needed for close family members or if they are returning from abroad and need to get their home back. Um, temporary contracts for students will also remain an option. If you appreciate our efforts to keep up with the election campaign and the upcoming coalition negotiations, and you've got a few euros to spare, why not consider sponsoring us on Patreon? Because it's your generous donations that buy us the time to keep making these podcasts and wading through the forest of manifestos, 16-handed debates, and teeth-grinding politicians' playlists to bring you the latest news and analysis. All our patrons receive a shout-out on the podcast by way of thanks and the chance to ask us a question. Uh, this week we welcome two new patrons, uh, Anushka Travers and Barbara, so thank you very much to you. Thank you. And also thanks to uh, John Heinz, who is returning as a patron after taking a break. Uh, I'm guessing he's only just recovered from the last round of coalition negotiations. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much uh, for your continued support, or renewed support. Uh, Barbara messages to say she's uh, from the UK, uh, has been living in Amsterdam for a few years and has been enjoying the podcast for several months, uh, probably been listening for longer, and also <laughs> became a patron to listen to the election specials, so very glad to hear that uh, people are, um, are getting some value out of that, uh, even though uh, she can't vote. Um, well, welcome on board, Barbara. She has a question as well about uh, how Dutch political parties are funded. Yeah, parties have members, of course, and they pay contribution, and that's... Uh Often not too much, um, I have to say. Um, yeah, memberships are in decline, aren't they? Far fewer people are members of parties than they used to be. Yeah, it's continuously in decline since since decades, uh, to be honest. Yeah, parties, of course, have uh, can receive donations from generous uh, supporters. Every donation, starting from a thousand euros, have to be published uh, within a week, I believe. Um, so uh, you, you can see just on the documents uh, from the min Interior Ministry who is uh, donating to which party. And also uh, you have, of course, the membership. And uh, how larger your party is, the more people you have as members, uh, the more money you get from subsidies. Uh, the government is basically paying uh, the vast majority of all the money political parties have. You also have the Socialist Party, for example, they uh, have an arrangement with all their elected uh, representatives, which says that they have to donate one third of all the money they, uh, they earn as a SP representative to the party. Uh, and that means that the SP is uh, coincidentally one of the richest parties uh, in the Netherlands, uh, but they organize so many demonstrations and strikes and stuff like that. So they are really active uh, in, 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 that, in that front. Um, yeah. And of course you have Forum for Democracy. Uh, that's the largest uh, party in terms of memberships. Their membership is also one of the cheapest. Mm. And uh, yeah, they just made a calculation. The more people we have signed up, the more money we get from the government. So that is their approach. That's to, their strategy, to, yes, um, yes. And they're, they're constantly tapping their members for more money as well, aren't yeah. they? I mean, when Thierry Baudet was hit over the head with an umbrella in Belgium the other week, the, the first thing he did was send out um, uh, an email saying, uh, we need more money for personal protection. Uh, please donate. <laughs> 
Yes, indeed. And uh, yeah, because we had so many elections uh, right after each other, right? The Tweede Kamer election was only two and a half years ago. We had the provincial election, which is also, yeah, a lot of advertisements were made there. Uh, the party's coffers are, are, are almost empty. So yeah, they are pretty desperate for money. And uh, for example, D66 had requested their youth organization to donate 200,000 euros to their campaign uh, treasury. Uh, that youth organization refused and now... Um, uh, D66 has said, yeah, we had still some money reserved for you, but we are not going to uh, to send that to you, which is uh, known as Jettegelde. That's money that was ah. reserved by then D66 leader uh, Rob Jette when he was an MP. So it's a little bit awkward for D66 right now that they are. Yeah, yeah. There is. Uh, there was recently actually a story on NOS, which we will link to, which uh, gave uh, a breakdown of uh, what uh, donations uh, parties have received yeah. in 2023. And the Feifei Day are way out in front. They've yeah. had uh, um, one and a half million euros in donations. Obviously, they are the party of business. So uh, that I think is the main explanation yeah. for that then followed by Hoon links actually the second biggest and then the socialist party which we've uh, just discussed yeah. why they get uh, so many donations and if you subtract the money the SPA gets from their representatives it means yeah. that the VVD got more in donations than all the others uh, combined so uh, yeah yeah it's a very rich party yeah, indeed. And one of the striking things I always think in the Dutch context is that um, until very recently, in fact, the start of this year, um, there was no restriction on foreign donations at all. Hmm. So you could do, have donations from anybody. But uh, they, there was a lot of talk about this in the last uh, couple of years, uh, that uh, foreign donors uh, shouldn't uh, be donating to political parties to run domestic uh, campaigns. The PFFA, uh, Wilders' party, is one of the parties that was uh, strong, most strongly against uh, this, uh, uh, because uh, I think they have some funding for abroad uh, Dutch political party funding I think in general until recently has been quite opaque I yeah. think but uh, since the start of this year uh, a new law uh, came into force uh, which uh, says that uh, only people who are uh, who are entitled to vote in the Netherlands or who have a business uh, registered in the um, in the register of trade uh, are allowed to donate to Dutch political parties uh, although obviously given the how many foreign uh, businesses have a letterbox uh, firm <laughs> set up in the Netherlands you wonder how much restriction that really is in practice but Nevertheless, that just shows that they have finally got a handle on that particular issue. Um, we had another question as well from uh, Katya, who's a new patron from last week. Uh, she's uh, replied to us to say that uh, Katya uh, is uh, a uh, newly minted Dutch citizen. She's originally from Russia, moved uh, with her partners in the Netherlands in 2017, and is very proud, heel trot, to now be Dutch. She does have a question, she says, uh, which none of my Dutch friends and co-workers can answer. So you are my last resort. Why are there so <laughs> many Buddha statues and heads in Dutch homes and gardens and front patios and that kind of thing? You seem to find it in every home decor store as well. Yeah, this is something I notice as well. In yeah, fact, I think too. I have two Buddhas, both of which are gifts from my sister-in-law. Um, <laughs> and it seems to be a thing, whenever you move into a house, somebody will give you a little yeah. ceramic Buddha as a yeah. present. Yeah, I think on the one hand, it's just the trend. It's uh, fashionable to have uh, these Buddhas in your home. But it also there's also a clear link to what I call Xenos spirituality. Yeah. Uh, Xenos is a ho budget home decor shop, I guess. Yeah. And um, we live in a secularized country, but people still have an urge to have some sort of spirituality in their lives. And sometimes they think this is uh, this is a way to express that. That would be my guess, but it is mostly just something that's fashionable, even though it is... Uh, 
I think going around for 20 years now or something at least uh, yeah. all these Buddhas so um, yeah, I also don't really have uh, an explanation for that but I think um, it, it is fashion and it is this this weird urge for spirituality I think that that would be my explanation yeah it could be that seems plausible to me uh, it, it, it's kind of exotic but not too yeah. uh, outrageous it's kind of it, it still fits within the boundaries of do normal and because everybody's got one I guess everyone uh, conforms. I was thinking uh, Dutch interior design is always quite conformist. Everyone's got whitewashed walls <laughs> and a Buddha statue in the garden. It's uh, in, 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 in the same set of uh, wicker tables and chairs outside if they've got enough space for them. So, yeah. Uh, and and a barbecue. I have a Buddha too. I, I, I got one yeah. when I moved in here as well. Of course you did. It is somewhere, yeah. somewhere <laughs> hidden in a corner. So... Uh. <laughs> Oh, that's probably, that probably brings bad luck. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I keep being told that the way my Buddha's positioned brings bad luck, but uh, I don't know. So thank you for that question, Katya. That was, uh, I think, one of the most uh, 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 incisive questions uh, we, we've ever had in this segment. Yeah. She, she also adds uh, that, that she, it might be uh, easy for people to become uh, patron supporters if we could just send them a ticky. But uh, yeah, Patreon <laughs> doesn't do tickies, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. no. No. If you're not a patron and you feel moved after listening to that advice to become one, uh, please do take a look at our Patreon page. We have four tiers of membership. Uh, they all offer exactly the same benefits. It's uh, entirely up to you to decide how much you're willing or able to donate to us if you're so minded. Uh, although Krachtenkordel patrons, that's the top tier, do get a bonus extra vote in the Ophef of the Year Awards, which are coming up very soon. Yes. So hop along to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News NL. And as I say, unfortunately, we don't do tickies. The Dutch government has caved into pressure from the EU, the United States and Canada over its plan to cut the maximum number of flights from Schiphol Airport. Infrastructure Minister Mark Harbers told Parliament on Tuesday that the US was particularly angry about the plans and was threatening retaliatory measures. The EU has also criticised the scheme, saying the Dutch government had not balanced the need to protect the environment with the interests of the transport network, and so the cabinet has now abandoned the plan to reduce the number of takeoffs and landings to 460,000 from next year, even though Schiphol Airport themselves wanted to press ahead with this plan, and they'd even actually contested uh, a, a court case which was brought by airlines and other companies uh, against the plan. The Supreme Court is due to rule on an appeal uh, by those uh, airlines uh, uh, after they failed in an earlier bid to block the scheme. But that's not the only legal challenge, of course, because mobilisation of the environment, who uh, famously have uh, won all kinds of uh, environmental court cases on things like nitrogen. The yeah, leading activist, Johan Vollenbroek, is said to be preparing a case to throw out Schiphol's nature permit as well. Yeah, and Johan Vollenbroek is, of course, uh, the guy who brought the government uh, to court over the nitrogen issue, and he's yeah. the one who... Uh, is responsible for all the mess that we're in right now. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that we can only drive 100 kilometers uh, an hour on the, on the motorway. Indeed. Uh, but if people do not want to fly, uh, fortunately there is the train, right? Yeah, sort of. Uh, possibly sometime in the future. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest destinations for Schiphol is London. Uh, 55 flights a day by various operators uh, between Amsterdam and London, which is a one-hour flight. Of course, there is a bit of sea in between, which is uh, why it makes it a bit more difficult. Uh, but if only there was a tunnel or some, some if sort. If only there was something, exactly, some way of getting there without getting your feet wet. I don't know. The father and son team, Roma and Martin van Bichela, want to change all that by setting up a train service. Now, there is a train service at the moment already, run by Eurostar, which has a monopoly on high-speed trains from London to Paris and Amsterdam, uh, but they are now possibly facing competition from a new Dutch challenger called 
Hero, hero, I don't know. It's one, that's one of those words that's going to get pronounced differently in every single language. Yeah, isn't it? I think yeah, so too. That's yes. a bad choice. Name's yeah. a combination of high speed and Europe, anyway. And uh, yeah, Rumor from Bicolas said the high number of the huge number of flights from Amsterdam to London made no sense. Uh, and also that the tunnel, he says, we have this wonderful tunnel under the channel, but it's underused. And he wants to put on 16 return trains a day to Paris and 15 to London. More frequent services mean that uh, Hero, Hero, Hoiro could lower train t- ticket prices, um, he added, uh, but he wouldn't say by how much. Also, two of the trains to Paris will depart from Kroninger, which I guess, I mean, you can also go from Paris to Kroninger if you want. In any Parisians uh, there who, who want to look at flat, look at endless flat fields, uh, they've now got an opportunity. But also there's room okay. for a maintenance depot there. So I think that's uh, the main reason they're, uh, that yeah. they're going yeah, to Yeah, it would be interesting it. to see more competition uh, on the Amsterdam-London uh, high-speed train uh, services, I think. Um, because yeah, you know, yeah. right now, yeah, you are, there's only one option, of course, the Eurostar. And um if you uh, book well in advance, then it is affordable. But if you uh, decide three three weeks in advance that you want to go to London, then uh, yeah, then going by plane is often uh, the cheaper ch- cheaper option. It is usually much cheaper. Unfortunately, we have uh, the British train ticketing system operating in Eurostar, which means that, as you say, if you actually just want to step on a train, it'll cost you uh, a monthly mortgage yeah. payment uh, to, to travel. Eisden Margaten in Limburg has become the first local council in the Netherlands to declare nature a legal entity. This means that its interest can now be defended in court. A local progressive party proposed the motion which was approved by a majority of councillors last week. Nature can now have a say in court before licenses for extensions of holiday parks, the use of pesticides and allowing mountain biking in fragile parts are granted. The rights of nature and wildlife will be voiced by a guardian, which could be a combination of scientists and environmental organizations and uh, I also read that even artists can uh, can join that team Eistemagraat is following the footsteps of 30 US states and two districts in Northern Ireland which all have made nature and wildlife a legal entity in court in New Zealand a river a volcano and a forest have been given legal rights I'm afraid that uh, there won't be built much more houses in Eistemagraat uh, in the near future now no, no, especially if the badges, <laughs> the beavers, all start to bring court cases. I was in the south of Limburg uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they had warning signs of badgers. And I wanted to right. take a photo of that, but unfortunately <laughs> I couldn't find another one. Uh, so yeah, badgers are a real problem in the vicinity of Eistemagraat, yes. Well, they're not a problem anymore that they got rights. You see, you can't call them a problem. You can't no, say you've got a no, badger no, problem no. anymore. <laughs> Dust problem. Finally to sport. And we start with a sensational win for Ajax in the Champions League. I thought they didn't qualify this year. This is the women's team. Oh, okay. That's why we can talk about Ajax and success in the same sentence. Thanks to the women. Remember, the women (laughs) won the league title last season, but they weren't allowed to celebrate because the men were in a big sulk because they only finished third. So this week, the men went to Almira. I guess maybe they bumped into Mark Ritter. Who knows? But um, they only managed to draw two all, which means Almira City is still above Ajax in the league table. The women, on the other hand, took on French club Paris Saint-Germain, one of uh, the strongest women's sides in Europe in what was their first ever Champions League match. And they ran out 2-0 winners in the Johan Cruyff Arena, which counts as a major shock uh, against a team that's been runners-up twice in the competition. Mm. Tini Hoekstra scored the first after 30 minutes from a narrow angle, and captain Chérie de Spitzer put away a penalty just before half-time. And the other two teams in the group, Bayern Munich and Roma, drew 2 all, so Ajax's women are top of the league. 
So, again, we can say Ajax on top of the league in the same sentence. At uh, at which position does Sherida Spitz play? Uh, she's a striker. Okay, so she's a Spitz. The Spitz is the Spitz. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So is there any uh, other good news for male footballers or is it uh, just as dis- depressing as the polls for the Baby Bay is? Uh, well, there's one uh, so bright uh, note on the horizon because it should qualify for Euro 2024 this weekend. It would take a screw-up of uh, Mark Overmars' proportions to not qualify <laughs> for Euro 2024. They'll go through if they beat the Republic of Ireland in Amsterdam on Saturday. Um, joyously for you, Paul, uh, the weird permutations of the UEFA Nations League mean that Ireland actually would benefit from losing the match <laughs> because of the way that they, the qualification system works. It would of mean course that, it does. That, it mean that it's all to do with the, 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 the sort of spare places you get through the Nations League if you don't qualify through the main competition <laughs> um, uh, Google it I can't be bothered to try and explain No. otherwise uh, the Netherlands will just need to draw their final match on Tuesday away to mighty Gibraltar or uh, they can rely on France who've won all their matches so far beating Greece in their final game So, is it me or is the, the Dutch football team playing against Gibraltar every week or something <laughs> <laughs> They've drawn Gibraltar in the last two qualifying campaigns. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, they seem yeah. to face Gibraltar like you should say every every third match. Yes, which is why Memphis Depay has got so many goals. Oh, because he he keeps playing. Okay, yeah, he keeps scoring against Gibraltar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's injured at the moment, so he won't be playing on Tuesday. That's unfortunate. Romel Koeman has named Bart Verbruggen as his first choice goalkeeper for two games. The 21-year-old has impressed in his last two matches for Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, including a win against Ajax in the Europa League. So maybe Ajax should have sent out their women's team in that game. <laughs> One Ajax player whose star is rising is 17-year-old uh, left-back Joel Hato, who's been called up as a replacement for Net and Ake. And Ajax forwards Stefan Bergfein and Brian Brobby have withdrawn from the squad because they're unfit to play. So enough about football, uh, let's finally talk about cricket. What's been happening uh, there? Yeah, the ICC World Cup has wrapped up now. Uh, the Netherlands, uh, to nobody's surprise, lost their last game. That was against the host nation and the title favourites, India. They lost by 160 runs, but uh, it was actually a fairly creditable performance. Indian-born batsman Tia Nidamanuru, he was top scorer for the Dutch with 54, and uh, Sibon Engelbrecht hit 45 in a total of 250, which was the second highest total score the Dutch have managed with the bat at the World Cup, but nowhere near India's total of 410 for four in the first innings. The Netherlands' main concern now is keeping up the momentum uh, from the World Cup, where they finished with two wins against Bangladesh and South Africa. That means they've got to find teams to play against uh, before next year's T20 World Cup. Head coach Ryan Cook said he had been approached by a few of the other coaches at the World Cup about trying to uh, fit in some extra games against the Dutch, but he did say that uh, international schedules are already quite full. But uh, they're hopeful they can get some top-class cricket action in the next 12 months. Very good. I'm also very hopeful. So uh... The match was actually on broadcast online by NOS. Did you catch any of it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I missed it. Um, and it was skating news, right? Yeah, there's always skating news this time <laughs> of year. But uh, the latest news is that the TL Stadium Hierophane is bidding to stage the Winter Olympic events in 2030. A couple of slight uh, hurdles here. First of all, the host nation for that year hasn't been chosen, and the Netherlands isn't actually bidding. But Switzerland are, and they don't have a full-size speed skating rink, so TL mm. is hoping that they can piggyback on Switzerland's bid, effectively, of course or they do. ride in the Swiss slipstream and take over the speed skating. Friesland sports chief uh, Femke Wiersma 
Uh, she said that the Herophane rink was extremely well suited to the event. So a lot of ifs, buts and maybes, but the IOC is due to award the 2030 Olympics next year, and their delegates, coincidentally, have been invited to TELF uh, to watch the European distance events next year. I think what happens is the IOC delegates are basically sat down at the start of the 10,000 metres and told, <laughs> yeah. you can't leave until you give us the, the, the 2030 speed skating event. They're strapped to a chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. That, that, that lasts an eternity, so yeah, then, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the choice was very easy to make yeah. a thing yeah if they ask we're not going to say no said uh, TF director Minna Dulstra which is pretty much exactly the reply that Mark Rutter gives whenever he's asked about uh, the NATO job right yeah yeah that's all we have for you this week this podcast is a production of Dutch News which can be found online at dutchnews.nl we will include links to everything we've talked about today in the line notes you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl and if you want to help us out please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Palpators, uh, I've been Gordon Derrick, and we will be back next week with the election results. Many of the coffins of the parties are basically empty. Um, coffers, not coffins. Uh, <laughs> the coffers are all, are almost empty. The, the coffins are filling up. The coffins are filling up. <laughs> Certainly for CDR. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs>